Now, guys, uh, take a look at uh, John 13. We continue our study of this section of God's Word. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 5. So you follow in your copies of that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired. Golly gee, this thing is the very mind of God, as black words on a white page. Well, let's listen to it. Uh, Beginning at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this... um, This thing here, this endures forever. Um, Guys, if you read the commentaries uh, that are discussing these few verses of the Gospel of John, one of the things that you're going to have to read a whole lot of is about the controversy that is swirling around these these four verses. Uh, It's a controversy. The issue, the primary issue has to do with the differences of what John includes in his account of these final hours and what he leaves out, and what Matthew, Mark, and Luke include in their account and what they leave out. Um, now, guys, um, I have about 30 to 35 minutes with you um, each Sunday morning. I know you think it's much, much longer than that. Uh, but it's about 30 or 35 minutes, and we could spend much of our time discussing that controversy. I don't think it would be profitable for you, but let me just suffice it to say this. The, the, the differences in these, these accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, I think can be readily and easily understood by simply um, recognizing that the same thing would happen if any four of us would be reporting or trying to tell the same story. I mean, because we got different backgrounds, we've got different training, we've got different insights, we've got different prejudices, and so we would tell the same story and we would tell it differently. We would all tell it truly, but we would tell it differently. I would suggest that's the only explanation we need about the differences in John's account and the other three. So, enough. Let's, uh, let's try to spend our time on that which, which I hope that you will find profitable. I, uh, there are a couple of lessons in this little short portion one of which I think is just, uh, uh, boy, if we could ever get it, it would, be, um, it would really be helpful. Um, there, there are two lessons that I want us to look at. One of them has to do with something that we need to know about ourselves. The other lesson in this text, I think, um, has to do with something that you and I need to know about everybody else. We've got a, a lesson that we need to know about ourselves and a lesson we need to know about everybody else. So let's start with this lesson about what we need to know about ourselves. Now, gang, um, take a look with me real quick at verses 4 and 5. Because before this whole foot-washing thing, uh, which we're going to look at next week, which um, is something that makes everybody uncomfortable, but um, we're going to look at this foot-washing thing, but that's next week. So before he begins that in earnest, 
we're told something in verses 4 and 5. <clears throat> in fact, we're told there's seven different distinct separate actions that take place. He rose from supper, laid aside his garment, took a towel, girded himself, poured water in a basin. You know, th- th- that little staccato of, um, of little descriptive statements about what Jesus did. Now, now, why do we get all that detail? Why doesn't the text just simply say, Jesus arose and washed their feet? Well, well, most of the commentaries agree that the reason that, that you find those kinds of details is because it underscores Jesus' determination to accomplish this very strange thing that goes on here called this foot-washing thing, which we'll get to next week. Um, but he, th- this thing was important to him. He wanted to do this. He was determined to do this. And so that's why you get all this detail. But gang, um, before you get all of that detail, we are told something. We're given a piece of information in verse 3 about Jesus that I think is oh so rich and oh so necessary. Take a look at it. It's in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Now, first of all, you'll notice that it starts with knowing. That's the second knowing that we have seen in two verses. There's another one in verse 1, both of which are illustrations of what we call his omniscience. That is, that Jesus knows everything. But um, this is not a, although he knew he did this, it's a because he knew he, he did this. There are two things that are mentioned here in the text that Jesus knows, what is it that he knew? Well, he knew that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he knew that he had come from God, and he was going to God. Um, Jesus knew, number one, that it was God who had given him this work to do, and had provided everything necessary for its successful completion. But he also knew where he came from, and where he was going. There was a sense of identity that Jesus understood about who he was, where he came from, and where he was going. I know who I am. I know where I came from. I know to whom I belong, and I know where I'm going to end up. Knowing those things, the text says, then... He got up, and he washed some feet. Um, He performs a task that any Jew would have considered to be beneath him. But knowing these things, he got up and performed a work of service, a, 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 a piece of service on steroids, Hey guys, uh, tell me, um, how well do you do with this service thing? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, serving others, being a servant, having a, that servant attitude. How, how, how well do you do with that? Um, you find it hard? Um, I mean, are, are you more of a taker than a giver? Are you? Uh, are, are you far better at being served than, than, than serving? Oh my gosh, you sound a whole lot like me. It's the way I am. And by the way, <clears throat> so were the 12. How do you know that? Well, because they entered into this room that night, 
for this final meal. And over on the side, sitting on a table, was a basin, there was a pitcher, and there was a towel, and nobody makes a run for it. They all get their seats, you know, um, uh, they're, they're not interested in, uh, you know, doing what that thing is there for. They all know what it's there for, but we're, we're just not, um, we're just not into it. Um, so what I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, is that verse three explains for us why it is that we are reluctant to serve. It explains for us why we find service so unappealing. And by the way, it also provides a remedy. Let me show you what I mean. Um, The reason that we are so reluctant to serve, very simply stated, is because we are also blasted insecure. Um, we're insecure about who we are. We're insecure about to whom we belong. The 12, they, they, they can't be bothered, you know, with serving and washing some feet. Heck no. Why, why uh, you know, I, I, I got I to gotta find out who it is. that They're still discussing who's the greatest among them. Well, I can't be spending my time serving. My goodness, I, you know, I, 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 I need to be uh, spend my time protecting my turf. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want anybody getting ahead of me. For heaven's sakes, and I, and I certainly don't want people thinking that they're better than me. I, I, I mean, if you don't look out for yourself, who's going to look out for you? I'm far more comfortable at being served than serving. Does any of that sound familiar? Does any of that resonate with you? Ooh, why? That's that's me. Well, now you know at least the reason why we find serving so difficult. Uh, but I still don't get it, Dr. Well, what is it that you're saying? Okay. <clears throat> the reason that we are reluctant to serve is because we don't know what Jesus knew. We don't know about ourselves what Jesus knew about himself. You notice in verse 3, it states, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and knowing uh, he had come from the Father and he's going to the Father, knowing that, then he arose and he served. And because we don't know that, because we are so insecure about who we are and to whom we belong and where we're going to end up, We find, we find serving so unappealing. Now, guys, very simply, here's the remedy for our reluctance. The remedy is simply to know what Jesus knew, to know about ourselves what Jesus knew about himself. I need to know who I am and where I'm going 
and whose work this is in the first place. And if I know those things about me, like Jesus knew those things about him, I too would be, would be set free to go do things that, that, are, that are so uncommon and so rare. Guys, um, because I believe that one principle, because I'm not the only one in this church that believes that one principle, because I believe that, one of the things that you hear over and over and over again around here at Gracie Van is this simple principle. Here it comes. As a Christian, indicatives must always precede imperatives. Well, Dr. Young, that's just a whole bunch of churchy talk to me. I don't understand a word you said. Okay, let's, 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 try, to, let's try to make it clearer. Gang, who I am in Christ becomes the foundation of what I do for Christ. Do you get that? Do you, do you understand that? Because I, I would suggest that that's huge. It's huge in terms of our whole Christian experience. Gang, we can never reverse those two. That is, it's never imperatives that give me indicatives. It's not because of what I do that I become something. It's because I have become something that I do something. Indicatives. Who I am because of Christ's finished work for me gives rise, gives impetus, gives animus to what I do. I I do because of who I am. Just like you see in verses 3, 4, and 5. Jesus saying, knowing, 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 knowing that, ah, okay. Guys, um... The message that I think you get a whole lot around here at Grace Van, at least for me, and I think from others who, who teach God's word here, you get it over and over again here is that you are, or that, that who you are as the result of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. We want you to know that. We want you to get it down pat as to who I am because of Christ's finished work for me. I'm a child of God. I'm an adopted child of God. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven for my sin in the past and in the present and in the future. I'm loved. I'm seated in the heavenlies. I am bought with the price. And because of all that, I am eternally safe. I know who I am and I know where I'm going. Those, ladies and gentlemen, are indicatives. That's a, that's a description of who I am because of what Christ has done for me. Now, knowing that, go serve. Go, um, go obey. Go, go give. You see, those are all imperatives. Those are all commands. But again, I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that's what you're seeing in verses 3, 4, and 5 of John 13. 
this wonderful statement in verse 3 about Jesus knowing that the Father had done this and I came from the Father and I'm going back to the Father knowing that. He goes and washes feet. Guys, Jesus didn't forget his deity and then go serve. No, no, no. He was in full consciousness of his deity. It was because of his deity that he went and served these people. We find that service so difficult because, I'm suggesting, we don't know what Jesus knew about himself. We don't know about ourselves what he knew about himself. Gang, in in Christianity, I think you know that greatness is defined not, not by how many people serve you, but by how many people you serve. And, and I, I suggest to you that the only ones of us who, are, who, are, who, who will ever grow in this grace of serving are the ones who know who they are and where they're going. Knowing that, it sets you free. It sets you free to go serve. When you're unsure about who you are and you know, not quite confident that I belong to him, then you have to ask the world to serve you. You've got to protect your turf. You become a consumer. But knowing who you are, because of Christ, I'm set free. Guys, I, I, I would suggest to you that the applications of that principle are everywhere. Let, let, me, let me give you a couple. Just illustrations of how this, this principle fleshes itself out. Let's take, um, let's take marriage. Pretty important, marriage. When am I most free to give myself to my spouse? When I feel the most loved. When am I most guarded in my marriage? I'm most guarded when when I'm afraid you're going to divorce me. But if I know who I am with you and where I stand with you as my spouse, then I'm freed up to go give myself to you. When I know who I am, I'm free. The indicatives precede the imperatives. Let me give you another one, and I I use this a lot, and I'm sure you're tired of hearing it, but it's got a kind of little hard spot in it, but if you wait to the end, it it softens up. But it goes something like this. Um, You know, I hope you love me. I hope you say nice things about me. I hope you talk about me to your friends and you say, ooh, he's just the finest, I'm telling you, ain't a preacher. Oh, he's wonderful. I hope you say nice things about me. But if you don't, it's okay. Because I don't need you. I don't need you to say nice things about me to know who I am. Jesus has already told me who I am. And because I'm safe and secure in his love for me, I am now free 
to go serve you and love you. I don't need you to be serving me. I'm free now to serve you because I don't need, I'm not clawing at you to say nice things. Oh, please like me. No, no, no. I don't need you. Because I'm safe in who I am because of the promises of Jesus Christ, I'm set free. Now I can go love you. Because, you see, indicatives always precede imperatives. Who I am is always the thing that's going to give rise to behavior. Guys, that's, that's what you see here. Jesus, knowing that he was going to the Father and back from the Father, he arose and served. That's the thing that we need to know about ourselves. Who you are, to whom you belong, where you're going to end up, and who gave you this work in the first place. If you know that, get going. I love that principle. I just there's another lesson in here. Um, that's that's what I need to know about myself. But there's another lesson in here about what I need to know about everybody else. That's not so fun. Um, in this text, I, I think there's something inserted that we need to know about everybody else. It's in verse two, and here's what you need to know about everybody else. Living among us are the false, false brothers. People who look real, but who are not. Judas Iscariot, verse 2. You know, there's a song that we sing around here a lot, um, um, we sing it in congregational music, but uh, I've mentioned it a couple of times. I love the song. In fact, if you were raised in the church, you were raised with this song. Uh, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. It's a great song. It's rich in theological truth. And, and, um, um, but there's a, there's a stanza that we're not so familiar with. It's the fourth stanza. And since Jimmy doesn't ever let me sing a solo, I have to sing, you know, uh, from the pulpit. Um, the, the song goes like this. The church shall never perish, her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish, is with her to the end. That is, Jesus is with her to the end. Listen to this. Though there be those that hate her, the church, And false sons in her pale. Guys, what the, what the songwriter is telling us is that Jesus Christ, that the church of Jesus, the church has a defender. And the church needs a defender. Because there are those who hate her. And not only that, there are false sons in her midst. You know, this sinister plot to betray Jesus Christ by Judas, it comes to light 
while Judas was getting his feet washed, just like all the rest of them. Nobody suspected Judas to be a traitor. I mean, he, he was the one with the money bag. He was the most trusted of them all. He was the church treasurer. But what you're seeing here, ladies and gentlemen, in this theme that's found several places in the New Testament is, is, a, is, is the idea of the deep corruption that, that is found in the human heart, even among us professing Christians. Oh, what privileges this man had had. How close he was to the, to the action and to the real thing. Why, he was a part of the twelve. He was sent out in those six little couplets, two by two, to preach the gospel and do miracles. He was sent out in that group of 70. The 70 who came back and said, oh, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He was a part of that. He was... He was with Jesus for three years. He saw all those miracles. He saw three people raised from the dead. And yet as early as John 6, the New Testament begins to prepare us for a real shocker. The shocker would be that there is one among the 12 who would be used as a tool of the devil. Gang, what a warning this is to us church-going types. You see, privileges alone, apart from grace, save nobody. The deep corruption in Judas's heart is also in my heart as well as yours. And the thing that we need desperately is a Savior. I don't need more church work. I don't need more ritual. I need a savior. I need grace. And it is sovereign grace that has enabled me to see that. Guys, I think that one of the reasons that Jesus includes this this piece of the dark side of the Christian experience is because this is one of the way this one of the ways that he loves his own to the end. He wants them to be prepared for this kind of ugliness. He tells them that there was a false son even within my 12 apostolic band. It even happened to me. And you know, if, if I want to be like him, which so many of you do, this kind of betrayal, it's going to happen to you too. It's going to happen personally, but it's also going to happen on a larger scale. In this apostolic band, do you realize that there's a traitor among us? Who? Who, Dr. Young? I don't know. Because, because you look as real as the rest of us. I guess more poignantly, is it me? Am I the false son? 
Am I the one who has an outside that looks like everybody else's? When on the inside, my heart is far from him? You know, that language that I just used, that's found throughout the New Testament. Your lips speak so-and-so, but your heart is far from me. You find that in Mark 7. You find it in Matthew 15. You find it in Matthew 23. This whole idea that in the religious establishment, there are false sons within her pale. And one, another one of the ways that the New Testament confronts us with that is with this person Judas Iscariot. In fact, we're going to have to face this whole issue all over again when we get to verse 18 through verse 30. He mentions it again. Because the idea that there is one so close and yet so far, one who is so real looking But so false. One who is so active, but so dead. If I could, I would remove everyone in this room but me and you. And I would catch you in the back of your retinas. And I would ask. Is it you? Folks, let me put it very simply. Christianity is not about your outsides. It's about your insides. Christianity is not outside in, it's inside out. It's not about new habits, it's about a new heart. Well, Dr. Young, I mean, my goodness, uh, uh, how do I know whether, whether I've got the new heart or not? It's pretty simple, guys. Tell me what you love. Tell me for what you are willing to make sacrifices. Do you love his word? Do you love his law? Do you love his people? If so, do you know where you got that? You got that when the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in your heart. But if you find that those are things that you don't love, our Father, um, thank you again for your word. It It is the thing that is the meat and the drink of your people. Oh, how we love your law. And we want to live beneath it with gladness and with consistency. Would you grant us grace to do so? But Father, if you have permitted false sons to become part of this 
of this gathered group, would you help, would you open their eyes to see that what they need most is not more church work. What they need is a heart that is brand new and is there only as the result of the regenerative work of God the Holy Spirit. Now, Father, for the rest of us, would you help us become more and more comfortable with the precious provisions of the gospel about who we are, to whom we belong, and where we're going, so that you might find among us people growing in this grace of serving one another. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.